welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. I'm going to begin today by reading... Ecclesiastes chapter 8, beginning in verse 16, uh, where Solomon begins by acknowledging a pursuit of his, a pursuit for understanding that has failed, that has failed. Uh, Yet he concludes that life itself, as long as you possess it, it offers a source of hope. Life is hope. Ecclesiastes 8 Starting in verse 16. When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to seek the task which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night, and and I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot discover that work of God, which has been done under the sun. Even though a man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. For I have taken all this to my heart and explain it, that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, and for the unclean. For the man who offers a sacrifice and the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. But whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, and their zeal have already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. The enigma that Solomon has been trying to understand, he's been on a quest to explain, is the sovereignty of God. How does God ordain all of human history? And how does he orchestrate redemption of the soul and most settling of all How do you know who belongs to God? A wicked man prospers and enjoys long life. We saw last week in the previous passage 
While those who fear God are marginalized, they are oppressed, where is God when they suffer? Who can understand his work? Solomon has tried to understand and explain the hand of God. That is divine providence. God's sovereign work over all of his creation. And Solomon confesses, he goes, I've come up empty. I, I don't know. And verse 16 says, When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night, and I saw every work of God, I concluded, Man cannot discover that work, the work of God, which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. No matter how wise or how well-educated or how credentialed, you become, you could ruminate on this for 24 hours a day for a lifetime, day and night, all your days. But you will never fully comprehend how God superintends human history and redemption of the soul. We only know that He does. His sovereign machinery that He uses, it's not visible to the eye. It's spiritual instead. Zechariah 4 verse 6 assures that God builds his temple not by might nor by spirit, says the Lord God of hosts. God builds his church by his spirit. You're not going to figure out how. You're not going to be able to fully explain it. We walk by faith and, and not by sight. We don't navigate life according to dreams or, or miracles or signs or wonders that we see as sought by a wicked and adulterous generation. We trust in the providence of God and take Him solely at His word. By faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, not knowing where he was going. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish, says Hebrews 11, she didn't perish because she believed when she heard the news about how God had delivered his people from Pharaoh. Rahab didn't have to see the event. She only heard and believed how the Lord saves his people. The Lord saves. The Lord saves. So Solomon advises in verses 16 and 17, you know, don't waste a whole lot of gray matter on it. Get a good night's rest. I don't lie awake at night ruminating on this. 
trying to dissect and articulate God's providence like a science project. Solomon says you're not going to be able to fully understand it. Believe his word. Verse 1 of chapter 9, it advances sovereignty another step forward. This can be a little bit uncomfortable. Not only do we not know how God accomplishes his work, we also cannot see where God accomplishes his work. The world would think that salvation would be showered amongst the wise, the honorable, but not even the intellectually astute and morally righteous can take salvation for granted. Verse 1, for I have taken this, referring once again to the work of God under the sun, God's work, for I have taken all this to my heart and explain it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. It's indefinite. This has been a consistent theme in Ecclesiastes. God's love and his mercy will not be reflected in your life's experience. You can't see it. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. But Isaiah 55 verse 9, there the Lord says, My ways are higher than your ways. And Isaiah records that statement in the context of salvation. It displays an offer to the wicked and immoral to forsake their sins and trust God who has compassion and mercy on the ungodly. He abundantly pardons sins. Isaiah doesn't present that offer to the rich and powerful. He presents it to those who are sinners. There are wise, there are mighty, there are noble, there are rich, among whom... Not many are called. And 1 Corinthians 1 verse 28 assures that it is the base things, uh, really the lowly, or the word is lowborn, those born lowly and unesteemed of the world and the despised whom God has chosen. Chosen those who don't appear like they're chosen. That is good news. That is good news. So the righteous and wise men, since you can't see how this works visibly according to the worldly experience, the righteous and the wise men of verse 1, those esteemed by the world, respected by the world, they're not in the mainstream of God's redemption. They're, they're on the fringe of redemption. An affluence no matter how much you have, it doesn't indicate you're saved. Verse 1 says their deeds, they're in the hand of God. A popular resource from Dallas Seminary called the Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, says the following about verse 1. Quote, Solomon concluded, 
from his prior reflections on all this, that people are not masters of their own fate. People and what they do are subject to God's sovereign will, i.e., they are in God's hands, unquote. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. It's evident that it is there, but nobody knows where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Can't explain it. Man cannot know by human experience whether or not he is an object of God's love or his hate. The NASB translates verse 1, anything awaits him. The next verse shows that that is in the grave. His, his destiny is indefinite, beyond measure through, through observation. It means that the salvation, it's not scientific. You can't test it through what you see and... Uh, a couple young brothers, actually twins, names are Jacob and Esau. They're among the clearest examples in Scripture. For that reason, the New Testament makes an illustration out of them in Romans chapter 9. It states that Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, means this is the same dad as compared to Ishmael or another line, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born and had not yet done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of God who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs but on God who has mercy. As we discussed briefly last week, salvation, God's love or hatred, it's in the hand of God. It's in the hand of God before we're even born. It, it does not hinge on success or social status and how much you've achieved uh, in the world. Praise God. Divine election kicks the legs out from underneath your stool. You had nothing to sit or stand on. Nothing. We achieve no merit in which to boast. Salvation cannot be earned by good works. It's not a birthright. It doesn't depend on the man who wills says Romans, nor the man who runs. That means the one who strives at it. Doesn't depend upon that either. 
but on God who has mercy. Salvation is 100% grace. 100% grace because there's nothing attractive about any of us. It's God's choice. So when we are born naturally into the world, like Jacob and Esau were, it's impossible in that fallen natural state, not yet redeemed, in that state to know what awaits us. Is it going to be love or is it going to be hatred? Natural man cannot know. He cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. And when you stop adults on the street, you talk to them, you inquire within them, Uh, What is the typical response when they asked if they're going to go to heaven? Oh, I hope so. I'm not sure, but I hope so. This is evidence that they're basing their salvation on human merit. They, in some way, hope that they will deserve it. Romans 11, verses 5 and 6 states that if God's grace were awarded by works, then it's no longer grace. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. But we who are saved come to to know that we are objects of God's affection. We can know that we are objects of His love because He reveals it to us in our spirit. He sends His Holy Spirit where he wills so is everyone who is born of the spirit of god Uh, we know that it's not our works that impress god no in fact nothing about our sinful presence impresses god we we know that we actually we confess that we actually offend god by our sin salvation depends entirely romans 9 verse 16 on God who has mercy. And God displayed His mercy openly for the world to see, for all eyes to see by allowing His sinless Son, His sinless Son to be born into the flesh, to live a life without stain, and then be punished on the cross for our sins. His mercy was displayed openly on a cross. Therefore, our confidence is always in the work of Christ, not in ourselves. He's revealed that to us in the Spirit. But before we were saved, think about it. Before we were saved, we didn't know what awaits us. When I was a teenager, I was afraid of dying. I was terrified of dying. It's the worst thing that could happen to anyone. I didn't want to die. In my 20s, I I found myself preoccupied with trying to discover ways to to not think about it. Find ways to just forget about what death brings. And it was in my 30s that God revealed to my heart that Christ had died for all of my transgressions. Granted me faith to believe uh, that Jesus rose from the dead. So I now know that I hope you know I know what awaits me. It's God's love through Jesus Christ, His Son. We can know. And you can also know today. Everyone here can know by trusting in Christ rather than trusting in self. 
you can know. And we can then sing with confidence, great song. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell or no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. That's where we all want to be in the power of Christ. In Christ alone, my hope is found. We know what awaits us. That's our privilege as children who've been adopted into the family of God. But the sinner, the, the one who is not yet born again, just born into the world yet unredeemed, he or she, they're just unsure of what awaits them. They're unsure of everything except for one common fate assured to all in verse 2. This they're sure of. Solomon says, it is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean and for the unclean, for the man who, suffer, who offers a sacrifice and the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. In context, what do you think that that one fate for all men is? Well, it's a certainty of death. It's the grave. Everyone knows they're going to die. Everyone has died uh, that has come before us. It's not describing the same eternal destiny. That, that there's one fate for all men. Uh, it's not describing the same eternal destiny, but the same physical destiny. Both the righteous and the wicked, we all die. And verse 3 blames death upon the, the universal condition of depravity. It says, furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. And then afterwards, they go to the dead. The wages earned through our sin, what we deserve is death. Every, everyone knows in our hearts that we are, we're sinners. Everyone knows that. You don't have to read the Bible to know that. If you uh, had happened to watch that movie I suggested a few weeks ago, End of the Spear, you would have learned there how Christian missionaries discovered that even in the most isolated tribes in Ecuador, there too they believed that everyone, great or small, after death, had to jump the great boa. That's what they saw as their, their need to be able to do, to overcome the great boa or suffer an eternity of being eaten by worms. Well, that isn't good. <laughs> That, that just stinks. That's not good news. And verse 3 describes death as a universal evil that everyone faces under the sun. Philip Riken says this about the passage. He says, No matter 
who we are or how well we live, our time on earth will end in death. The universal obliterator. In the words of one bumper sticker, says Riken, eat well, stay fit, and die anyway. I'm going to eat up today. (laughs) But for anyone reading his letter, Solomon says, he goes, there's still hope. There's still hope. Because obviously if you're reading Ecclesiastes, you're still alive. You're not dead yet. And I think the conjunction at the beginning of verse 4, I read it this way, um, it, it's best translated but. It's but, as, as some Bible versions uh, indicate. Because sim, uh, verse 4, it, it's supplying a contrast to verse 3. In verse 3, we all end up dead. But whoever is joined with all the living, oh, there's hope. There's hope. That, that's a fortunate but. But there is hope. This verse obviously applies to us who remain living because we're going to find out in the next verse that the dead don't know anything. But where there is life, there is hope. Well, that is the best news, the absolutely best news that any Christian mother could hear about her children, a wayward child, one that has gotten caught up in the world, no matter how insane, no matter how full of evil your child is, fill in the blank here, surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. The dog, he he was the, the most despised of scavengers in biblical times. Uh, It's a derogatory term. That's why Jesus said, do not give what is holy to the dogs, Matthew 7, verse 6. And Peter said, uh, it is a dog who returns to its own vomit, 2 Peter 2, verse 22. That's why I'm a cat guy. I like cats. It's a cat who is king of the jungle. Cats are noble. That's biblical. That's biblical. But no matter how much of a dog your family member may be, he or she is still better off than a dead king of the jungle. Because life is hope. And God is sovereign. And the gospel is power to save sinners. Look at the characters throughout church history. Not just in the Bible, but throughout church church history. um, Of whom God has granted salvation and repentance. Uh, If you looked into his life, uh, the, the writer John Newton, whom we all know really, really well. Great example. Serves just as one example of the worst dogs out there. He, he wasn't only a slave ship captain. Uh, he was desperately moral in every way when you read about him. He was a bad dude. But God used Newton 
to pen one of the greatest hymns of all time. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind. Oh, but now I see. Praise Jesus. That dog who is alive, he knows he'll someday die, in verse 5. And that fear of death God can use to drive him or her to repentance. Oh, there is much hope in life. Life is so good. No dog is beyond the reach of God's hands. Ecclesiastes it hasn't only given us a zest for life. We'll see as we close today and next week especially. Oh, Ecclesiastes is it's evangelistic. Prepare for death. Be ready for judgment. The sad state, that, that's the dead lion. Throughout his life, he thought he was majestic. He ruled the jungle. He was the biggest and the best. But the grave offers even him no hope. In verse 5, for the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their, their love, their hate, and their zeal already perished. And here's the key to understanding the passage. They will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. Solomon is not suggesting the dead no longer have any consciousness at all. He means they have no consciousness of what is occurring in life as it's done under the sun. Now, under the sun is it's repeatedly used in Ecclesiastes as a reference by Solomon to describe our life as it is currently experienced with us. That's what's going on under the sun. The dead no longer have any share in this. What we share today. They have no consciousness of what we are doing today. No, they are not watching over us today. Uh, the dead are not omniscient. If you were in Bible Life Group this morning, uh, there was a little discussion about uh, the attributes of God. Some that are communicable, like love, things we can experience, but then that are not. Others are not. His omniscience, all-knowing, his omnipresence, his presence everywhere. Even Satan doesn't share in those. The angels don't share in omniscience and omnipresence. And we don't become God when we die. We don't develop the attributes of God. There's one God. Dead are conscious, but they're not conscious of us. They have no part in us, in what we are sharing who are alive. Either they have an experience of heavenly bliss as they await the return of Christ to consummate His kingdom, or they are consciously awaiting God's final judgment for their sins. But their experience, according to the story of the rich man and Lazarus, is both conscious and it is rational. 
but they no longer have any participation in what we experience here under the sun. They miss the enjoyment that we share every day. Uh, they don't get a 4th of July picnic after church. We do. We do. Wow. There's no longer a chance for them to gather rewards, neither in this life or in eternal life. Even for the redeemed, those who know Christ as Savior, storing treasure in heaven has ceased. I imagine most now realize in their consciousness that their bank account in heaven is a little lighter than it, or what it could have been. But when you enter the grave, both temporal and eternal rewards cease. Your bank accounts are frozen. While life here is grand under the sun, it is amazing under the sun. That's going to be our topic of our passage next week because that is where Solomon returns again to the blessings that we share under the sun again and again and again. Live life to its fullest. Enjoy it. Laugh. His life is loaded with hope. It is good. Well, I bet there are plenty of people in heaven who are awaiting the, the rewards ceremony, the, the Bema seat of Christ, who just wish they could have one more time going around mowing the church. They wish there was just one more time that they could, they could cook a casserole and serve it to, to the saints. There's one more time they, they could give a hug. Say, I wish I could have just encouraged one more time. Show my love to God's redeemed. But the dead no longer have a reward. Their memory is forgotten. All the emotions that they shared in this life that we are uh, privileged to share today, all emotions, love, hate or anger, passion, they've already perished for those who are in the grave. They no longer have any portion under the sun. No more earthly chances to evangelize the lost or to offer them encouragement and hope in Christ. No more opportunities to give someone a gift, to bless them, or just share time with church and with family. You think, boy, maybe we should be a little more charitable with our time. Share the love, the joy that we have. What a blessing from God to be reminded this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let's live, laugh, and love. I've never liked that. It's just too... No, it's great. It's great. Live, laugh, and love. And the Apostle Paul would urge, excel even more. Excel even more. I'm going to invite the men to come forward to serve the Lord's Supper at this time. Communion, it's a memorial of the sacrifice of the life Jesus gave. It represents His body and His blood. 
1 Timothy 1.15 says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am chief. And as the bread and the cup are being distributed, uh, we're given a few moments to examine ourselves and to reflect upon our lives. It becomes an opportunity to recommit the years, the time that we have left to the God who gives life and hope. We practice open communion at Port St. Lucie Bible Church. Uh, that means if you believe that Christ died for your sins, uh, that he rose from the dead, it means if you are a Christian, that you've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and that he will come again to, in glory to judge the living and the dead, uh, we invite you to celebrate with us this 4th of July holiday. Celebrate with us what we share in common together. Anthony, would you pray before distributing uh, the bread and the cup? grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourself to be blameless as children of God above reproach We're singing together the first verse.
of it is well, when peace like a river attendeth my way. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, In the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul states in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, Now as to the love of the brethren... You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, for indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel excel still more. Let's devote our lives to the love of the brethren. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, your joy fills our hearts. What a wonderful life you've granted. Father, we, we've been given the gift of salvation, being chosen. Father, we do not deserve such a gift. We pray that our lives will glorify your Son, We'll reach out with the gospel. Father, we pray if there's anyone here who just didn't quite understand today, uh, before they came in, that Christ had died for their sins and rose from the dead, that you would grant the repentance that leads to life. And Father, as we celebrate this day, uh, a holy day we call Independence Day, help us to be strong to use the freedom that we share, not as a covering for evil, but as bond slaves to Christ. Thank you for uh, this nation. We pray for it. The 
God, you would, you would bless it. Bless it even with a revival by your Spirit according to your will. And Lord, help us to enjoy all the wonderful blessings you give. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Happy Independence Day.